good Irish tune. I always think of him actually leaping around. I don't know. Because obviously Jesus was Irish, so it fits. Everybody's Irish on St. Patrick's Day. I don't know what those of us who are actually Irish do on St. Patrick's Day. I guess we just kind of... We're no longer special. It's all right. It's all about me, you guys. The scripture for this morning comes out of the book of Luke in the 13th chapter, verse 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today and tomorrow and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The printer works today, so it was good. It's no surprise to any of us, really, that Jesus referred to Herod as a fox. The way the term is translated certainly fits our own interpretations of someone we might call such a thing. The Hellenistic idea of the fox is someone that is sly or clever. The Hebrew scriptures often associate a fox with that of destruction. Herod was certainly all of these things. He had been a pain for Jesus literally since the very beginning. As we remember, Herod was threatened by the news of the birth of the new king of the Jews, so much so that he tried to sway the Magi into a plot against the newborn and his parents. Herod's claim to the throne was weak at best, as he had been allowed to sit through the allowance of the Roman Empire and through his marriage into a noble family. Whether or not Herod was actually involved this time remains to be seen. The Pharisees were most likely using him as a reason to try and get Jesus to move on. At this point in the gospel story, the Pharisees had not proved themselves to be friends of Jesus. It is likely that they were not concerned about his safety, but more likely that they had ulterior motives. This man was upsetting the status quo. He was giving the people a reason to think, the reason and a reason to turn from the lead of the Pharisees. Regardless of whether or not Herod knew of the plot this time, it is clear that the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus shuffled off into the arms of Pilate. Pilate might not only be able to do something about this guy, but if it's Pilate that made the decision, they would be off the hook. 
and therefore would not lose any power or pull with the people. Pilate could act out of Roman law and get rid of Jesus once and for all. It was all dirty politics. And Jesus was not ignorant to the politics of the day. All one really needs to do is carefully read the Gospels to see that Jesus was very much in tune with what was happening around him. He would say things to show that he knew that many people that many people viewed as important. For example, he would say things like, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Nothing raises the hairs on the necks of those in power like the idea of suggesting that they might not always be at that comfortable top. Jesus' abilities to cast out demons and perform cures, especially among the poor and the neglected, were often an affront to those powers. Jesus' description of Jerusalem is based on the Jewish traditions of the time and through historical facts. Although the exact way that some of the prophets died is not mentioned specifically in the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus would have known the stories. For instance, the prophet Isaiah was martyred. Are there any children? Katie, you're old enough. Isaiah was sawed in half. A lot of the prophets and the disciples were martyred in very gruesome ways. Jesus knew the end that he would meet in Jerusalem, but he also knew that he was not the only man of God, as his contemporaries viewed him, to find a violent end in the city. Much like Joliet, Jake, and Elwood declare after visiting the Penguin and the Blues Brothers, Jesus informs the Pharisees and all those who were there to listen that he was on a mission from God. He informed them that he would be continuing his ministry and his journey into Jerusalem. There is nothing that can or will stop him, not Herod, not the Pharisees, and not the fate that awaits him. Even though Jesus' obvious irritation with the Pharisees, even through Jesus' obvious irritation with the Pharisees, his overall reaction to the situation is one of love and caring. The words of those who oppose him are seen in a new light if we look at them through the eyes of Jesus. We hear the words from men who are powerful, who are foxy, and in a very non-Jimi Hendrix kind of way who fancy themselves more powerful than the words of God. Jesus called them out on this, of course, but he also sees them as barnyard chicks lost in a storm, too afraid and too stubborn to find shelter under their mother's wings. What others hear when the Pharisees speak is like the growl of a big dog. What Jesus hears is a tiny almost comical cheeping. There's a spiritual song that is sung by the slaves in the antebellum U.S. There's plenty good room, plenty good room, plenty good room in my Father's kingdom. The sentiment of this song is actually the central message of the gospel Luke is trying to tell us. In this second week in Lent, Jesus speaks in tones of abject disappointment and utter heartbreak at the refusal of his own people to hear and heed the calling of God. 
the calling to draw near, to gather, and to come home. For Jesus, God's passionate dream, total desire, and ultimate determination is to gather God's human children closer and closer in God's embrace and love. It is that desire which is the mission of Jesus Christ. The author of this book places the lament of Jerusalem at the end of a long string of Jesus' parables. The parables are of repentance, and there is significant and then there's a significant parallel between the parables and the lament over Jerusalem. Jesus' lament over the city is not really a final judgment, but a call to repentance. The metaphor that Jesus chose to use here is to remind Jerusalem that God wishes to protect it. That through him, Jesus is predicting not the destruction of the city, but its salvation. We can replace Jerusalem with any name, with any city, or with any person. When we read the lament of Jerusalem, it is like Jesus is reminding each of us that God only wants good things for us all. God's desire is to gather all of us together, have us all at home under one roof, and know that we are loved and protected. Loved and protected. In our Lenten meditation for repentance, we are reminded that Jesus does not wish to see us destroyed, but saved. He wishes us to embrace his words and his teachings and to allow him to be the savior that he is and was meant to be. We need Lent to remind us just what exactly we believe when we say that we are Christians. We need Lent to remind us that it is not just about a baby born in a manger, but of the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ and of our need to always look through the darkness to the light, to the sunrise of Easter morning. Jesus told the Pharisees that he would be doing his ministry today and tomorrow and on the third day. And on that third day, he would be on his way. This, is not, on, this not only alludes to our modern understanding of his resurrection, but he's telling the Pharisees that he'll move on when he's done. That he wasn't going anywhere just yet. And nothing that they could throw at him was going to keep him from doing his ministry. Although Jesus did move on and fulfilled his earthly destiny, his mission is not yet complete. It is up to us to continue the mission. It is up to us to make sure that all of the children of God know that there is room for them in their Father's kingdom. It is up to us to fill these empty places next to us with people. Those that have never heard the words of Jesus Christ and those that need to be reminded. We must, must remember the desire that God has for all of us. And we must remember what we have set out to do. 
From this place, we make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And it is in our salvation through Jesus Christ that we can even begin to start. Through our meditation, our repentance, and our prayer, we can make our experiences, the experiences in our lives, a space to show God's desire to gather us all in, to protect us all. Amen.